Father, we just, uh, we just thank you for who you are. You are our heavenly Father. You watch over us, our coming and going. You are here among us. And God, we honor your presence here. We truly do. We love to see you move and have your way and set people free that they may see you for who you are, a loving Father. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we just declare that in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a quick, quick announcement. Uh, so last week I talked about how to, we were, we were on a series called uh, Communication with God and our conversations with God. And last week was the, the final sermon of that series. And we talked about filters, four filters to discern if a thought is God's voice. And uh, just, I just made these up for everyone to have. They're kind of like little bookmarks. Um, and they're out on the, the table right by the uh, mailboxes there. Um, so feel free to grab one. It just has, uh, you know, the four filters there and plus Bible verses. Just so you can have that on you uh, whenever you're in prayer and meditating on God's word. And you have a thought and it comes to you. You can, you can discern whether or not it's uh, God's voice. Uh, that's right there. So feel free to take one of those. And for this sermon and actually for, the, for this series, I'm going to try something different. We're going to have these little... These uh, thingies. This is my first time doing this. Uh, just so it'll help us follow along with the sermon, but also something that you can have. Because I believe this series is very important. Um, this year, as the elders met to pray and discern um, where God is leading us, revival is just that, that buzzword in our church. We, we long to see God move and send revival here. We believe that it is a promise from the Lord. We've received prophetic words about revival, um, not just for Trinity Church, but for the Waterloo region. And, and we're saying, God, we want to be what you are about. Okay, so that's the heart of our church. And so as, as, as our congregation uh, discerns how we fit into that plan of God, uh, we were praying, and as the elders met, we... we uh, this, we realized that this year, 2015, God was doing something within us. And the word that came to us was the word preparation. Preparation. Uh, this is a year of preparation. And uh, John the Baptist came to my mind. And um, I decided to read up on good old JTB. And uh, just to see what he was all about. And, and his ministry was a ministry of repentance. Um, repentance. And, and repentance is the, the roadway to revival. And he was preparing the people for the coming of the Lord. And so that's really the backdrop as to why we're going to be talking about this series, Free Indeed. Because those who are in Christ Jesus, we are free. We've been set free. And so we're seeking God because that isn't always the experience that we have as followers. Sometimes it feels like a battle, a struggle. But the truth is, in Christ, we have freedom. 
And so Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says this. Talking about which way we need to go. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. And that is what we are doing in this series. Not necessarily going into discovering something new, but going back to the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and we'll find rest for our souls. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Let me read that again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. One of the defining marks of a born-again, spirit-filled Christian is freedom. Freedom from personal conflicts. Freedom from spiritual conflicts. Freedom from the negative programming of our past. Freedom from shame, guilt, unforgiveness. This freedom gives the Christian the joy unspeakable and full of glory. Life experience that Peter talks about in his first letter. Joy unspeakable, full of glory because of the freedom we receive in Christ. This freedom gives us the experience of the abundant life that Christ has come to give each and every one of us. However, for many Christians today, this is just not the experience of life. We don't necessarily feel or experience freedom the freedom that we were given through Christ's death and resurrection, we knowingly or unknowingly become submitted once again to the yoke of slavery as Paul mentions in Galatians 5. It's almost as if we're in a battle and we're losing. Now, I've talked about this before in the past, but I want to mention again and remind us that though Christians in North America are often unaware of it, there is a spiritual war going on all around us. There is a spiritual war going on all around us. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. For our struggle is not against those people who said those things to us. It's not against those people who do these things. It's against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have an enemy, and it's in the spiritual realm. John 10 verse 10 says, The thief, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Finally, Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now, we are all in a spiritual battle. The truth is that Christ has already won the victory. His death and resurrection on the cross, 
He has the victory. The victory is his. And so he's won the war, but the battle continues. And so what we need to know then, what we need to understand as Christians, as followers of Jesus, what we need to understand is how does the enemy attack us? What are the strategies of the enemy that keeps us from experiencing freedom in Christ? What does he do? What are the strategies? Well, strategy number one. This is what Satan does. He tempts you to disobey, bringing on you a curse, discipline, or judgment. Now, a great illustration of this is in the book of Numbers. Numbers 22 to 24. Great story of Balak and Balaam, the talking donkey. I love that story, you know. (laughs) Especially the part where he's like, where the donkey talks and he talks back. If the donkey donkey talked to me, I'd be like, ugh. I fall over. But he talks back like it's nothing. Anyways, um, the story of Balak and Balaam. Balak was the king of Moab. And he heard of the Israelite people encamping on his turf. And he was like, whoa. Uh, I heard of what they did to the Amorites. I heard of their ways. Uh, They're they're brutal. And they're just going to lick up all our stuff. We've got to do something. And so what Balak does, it's interesting, he doesn't muster up his army and, you know, tries to get all the people in line. He, he does a spiritual thing. He goes to Balaam, who's a prophet. He understood that there needs to be a winning of the battle in the spiritual realm. And so he goes to Balaam and he says, listen, you need to come. You need to put a curse on the people of Israel because they're going to come. They're going to take over Moab. So you need to do that. And so Balaam, he tries to do that. He goes and inquires of the Lord. And for three times, he's unable to put a curse on the Israelites because God has blessed the Israelites. And Balak gets so upset. He's like, listen, I can give you tons of money. Just do it. Put a curse. And Balaam says, you can give me your entire house full of silver and gold. I cannot put a curse on the people that God has blessed. And so Balaam's unable to do that. And so that's Numbers 22 to 24. We come to Numbers 25, and all of a sudden we hear about the Israelite people. They become enticed by the Moabite women, and they disobey the commands of the Lord. And that became an opening for the enemy to come in, and what they did was they began to worship the Baals. Baal worship was introduced or brought into the people of Israel. And God was really upset. This disobedience kindled God's anger towards the people and judgment fell upon them. Now, just like how the Israelites were enticed to disobey the Lord, God's people today are enticed to disobey him and fall into patterns of sin. And this withholds us from experiencing what Christ has come to give us, freedom. And so our disobedience always opens us and others to curses, discipline, or judgment. And that's how it begins. That's how the cycle of being brought back under the yoke of slavery begins. As the devil tempts God's people to sin, and if they disobey, we become opened up to the enemy. And once the enemy is given access, he's able to use other strategies to keep us from the freedom that Christ has come to give us. 
And so strategy number two, what the enemy does is he builds strongholds, spiritual strongholds in your life to put you in bondage. Now, when I was in university, uh, in my last year of university, I lived with uh, two other guys in, a, uh, in an apartment just off Albert Street there. And uh, we, were, we were disgusting. <laughs> we lived, man. I mean, we didn't do dishes, hardly. We had rotting food in the, in the sink, rotting stuff. It was nasty. Um, but <laughs> that's just the way it is. I, I don't know. Not all guys are like that, but I don't know. Our house was like that, man. It was so nasty. Okay, so one day I was out. I come back, and I, I thought I was in a biblical plague when I came into my house. I come in. There's flies everywhere. I'm like, whoa. Uh, seriously, I thought there was thousands of flies everywhere. I'm like, whoa. This is, in Jesus' name, you're like, I had to pray. And What is this? It was crazy. So, I mean, I got fly swatters. Um, I bought those like sticky rolly thingies, put them up all over the place. I'm like, this is crazy. This is crazy. And, and so it, it worked though. The sticky stuff worked. It was like covered in flies and I was like swatting, killing so many flies, right? There was like fly guts everywhere. It was so nasty. And I thought I got rid of the problem. But then the next day, there's more flies. I'm like, what? What is going on here? Let's clean. Let's clean. Okay, so we did the dishes. We did, you know, cleaned up all the stuff and Sure, sure enough, we thought the flies were gone, but it didn't work. They came back. And I'm like, man, what is going on? This is nasty. They're everywhere. And I realized something. I was just standing by the window, like, kind of like this, our, our front window there. And I noticed there was a little hole in the window. And the flies were coming in through that hole. I thought, whoa, okay. So I, you know, got like bug spray and just, just... I held it on that hole and just, that was the source, right? So, and then I, I dealt with that little plug, the, the hole there, and that solved the issue. That was the issue. They were getting in through that hole in the window. Isn't that crazy? I dealt, we dealt with that issue and the flies were no longer coming in. That's how the enemy works in our lives. He creates an entry point in which when we allow him to, he comes in. What we need to do is deal with those entry points so that we can experience the freedom that Christ has come to give us. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 20. Oh, sorry. So what are the entry points for the enemy? What are the entry points? Entry point number one is this. Personal sin can be an entry point for the devil to get a foothold in our lives. 1 Samuel chapter 15, 22 to 23 says this, has, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You know, those are strong words for how the Lord views disobedience. Those are strong words. I believe God speaks strongly about that because he knows that disobedience is how the enemy can get a foothold in our lives and keep us in bondage. God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to experience the freedom in Christ. That's not what God wants. Bondage is not what God wants. 
Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Wow. Do not give the devil a foothold. Sin gives the devil a foothold. Now, in this passage, it talks about anger, the sin of anger, right? Anger is an entry point for the enemy. It's an entry point. When believers get to that place of angry, when they're seeing red, right? Something happens, something goes wrong, something you feel out of control. All of a sudden, you see red. And you feel the, the, the emotions bubbling up, and all of a sudden, you... We can say things, do things... And later, we'll so regret what we just did. And we just gave the enemy a foothold to come in. Anger is an entry point. Anger isn't the only entry point. There are others. There's pride. There's jealousy. Envy. Lust. And the list goes on. These become like the hole in the window. The hole needs to be dealt with so the flies can no longer get in. So entry point number one, personal sin. Entry point number two, generational sin can be an entry point for the devil to build a stronghold. Generational sin. Now many of us may have heard the statement, like father, like son. Right? Now that can be a very positive thing. My son looks like me. Like father, like son. We have similar interests. Right? Or we could say, you know, my daughter loves to dance like I do. My daughter loves to sing like I do. And so on. It can be a very positive thing. It can also be a negative one. Certain patterns of sin, fear, health issues can be passed down generationally. Now, you know, I, I can't pretend to understand the science and the genetics behind uh, why certain things get passed down. Um, I'm not an expert in that. I've been reading a little bit about it. And it's interesting how now, scientifically, they can pinpoint genes that are passed down. Um, certain fears that, you know, even grandparents or parents had, it gets passed down uh, through the DNA. Uh, again, I don't know. I don't understand it totally. But um, it's interesting that science has that when in Exodus chapter 20, right, when it talks about God's people, God says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You know, you, you need to, you know, worship me alone. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Right? It's talking about generational sin. But you see, here's the thing. God's math is not like our math. He says, okay, I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But for those who love me, I will pour out my steadfast love on a thousand generations. Thousand generations on one hand, three or four on the other hand. God's love is powerful, everlasting. His mercies are made new every morning. God is good. But the, this idea of generational sin is a real thing. And spiritual uh, passing on of generational sin. I understand that. Okay? My parents were Buddhists when I was born. 
Um, many of you have heard this story, but I'll share it again. Um, my, when I was born, I was initiated into the Buddhist faith. Um, basically, you take your baby, I guess, to a temple. They, the monk kind of does his stuff, his thing, the bells and all this stuff, ritual stuff that I don't really know about. But um, my name, my Korean name is Pak Ji Song. Okay, that's my Korean name, Pak Ji Song. And uh, that was given to me by a Buddhist monk. And so uh, it's interesting because I have three, there's three sons in my parents' family. I'm the oldest. There's a middle and a younger son. I was the only one that uh, went through that initiation thing with the Buddhist faith. The only one. The other two, uh, they were baptized. Um, You know, in the Presbyterian church, they do infant baptism and confirmation. My my brothers did that. I didn't go through that. Um, I was initiated into the Buddhist faith. Now, here's the thing. Growing up, I went to church. My parents didn't take me to a Buddhist temple. I had no clue that that happened. No idea. Now, my parents weren't necessarily believers going to church, but they did for the community, right? Because Koreans, when they come to Canada, um, they feel like they're in community when they go to church. And so even if they're not a believer, they'll go to be a part of the community, Korean community. And so my parents went for over a decade. They just went, right? My parents were not believers, So I didn't grow up with any Buddhist shrines in my house or anything like that. Nothing like that. But when I became, when I turned 20, that's when the spiritual uh, link manifested in my life. And I was infatuated with Buddhism. I mean, just so infatuated with it. And and I began to study it. I I went to um, the University of Waterloo. And took courses in Buddhism. I met an Anglican uh, Buddhist. For real. For real. A professor who was an Anglican Buddhist. And so I thought that was the coolest thing since sliced bread, man. And I was like, you know what? I'm a Buddhified Christian. I think I've said that right. Buddhified Christian. I thought that was the coolest person. But man, that put me in such deep bondage spiritually. And I got wrapped up in all sorts of bad stuff. Drugs, anger, violence, spiritual bondage. Generational sin. I don't blame my parents though. I don't blame them. They didn't know. And at the age of 20, the things that I did, because of some of those strongholds in my life, I'm responsible for those things. Ezekiel 18 verse 20 says this, The person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. Now, although we are responsible for the stuff that gets passed down to us generationally, Jesus, here's the good news, okay? Jesus has come to set us free even from those issues, even from generational sins. Totally set us free, wiping us clean completely so that we can be free indeed. Jesus has the victory even over that. And I experienced that freedom in Christ and freedom from that spiritual bondage tied to Buddhism in my life. Jesus came to set us free from generational sins. 
Number three, entry point. Other people's sin can also be an entry point for the devil to build a stronghold in our life. What other people do to us or say to us can hurt us and become an entry point for the devil. We can see this in the lives of those who have been abused physically. Maybe they were bullied as a kid. I surely was. Messed me up. They've been abused emotionally in their home perhaps or at school, wherever. Mentally, even sexually. Excuse me. Now, please hear me. You got to hear me out when I say this. I am not blaming the one who was the recipient of abuse. I am not blaming the one who received abuse. I do not want to communicate that. I do not want to do that. That is not what I'm saying. When people undergo abuse, it is a tragedy and God does not fault the abused person. But the devil has zero compassion on us. None. You know, it's not like the devil's going to be like, okay, oh, that, that kid, he's been, you know, bullied. We'll just leave him alone. He had hard enough. I'm just going to back off. No way. No way. The devil says, aha, they've been abused. That's the entry point. They're done. I'm going to get them. That's how the devil works. The devil has no compassion for people. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. There's no backing away. Oh, let's just leave him alone. No, no, no. Okay? He is looking for an entry point. There's no compassion. But again, there's good news. God has come to change the game, to reverse the curse. He came to set the captives free from all of that stuff. We can experience freedom from the negative programming of our past through Christ Jesus, the victor. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. God has come. Jesus has come to reclaim what is his. He is the victor. And we have the victory through Christ. What we need to do is enforce the victory. In order to do that, we need weapons. So what are the weapons that we use against the enemy? Weapon number one. Confess sin. Confess sin. What is confession? To confess our sin means to agree or admit we did it. In the book of Acts, it says, Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Confession is a weapon against the enemy. Three things that confession brings. Number one, confession brings forgiveness. First <clears throat> John chapter 1, verse 9. If we 
confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now again, confessing means admitting. It's not about making excuses. Oh, but this person's a tough person to deal with. I just want to, you know. Oh, I know I reacted this way, but man, this situation, you got to understand. You don't understand what I'm going through. That's not confession. No buts. Admitting. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us of all our sins. Number two. Confession limits judgment. Confession limits judgment. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight to 30 says this, That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. So church, what we're called to do, we're called to examine ourselves, to analyze what just made me trigger like that. Instead of constantly being kept in that cycle of sin and brokenness and that cycle, instead of staying in that cycle, analyzing what is it that's making me do this? And when we analyze and God reveals things to us, confess it. And what it will do is limit God's judgment or discipline. Number three, confession leads to healing. Confession leads to healing. James chapter 5, 16 says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now this passage tells us to confess our sins to one another. Okay. Confessing our sins to one another. And I would would encourage you, if you do do this, go to someone you trust. Not someone who will just tell the whole world what you just did. Someone you trust. Someone who won't judge you but will pray for you and seek to see that you become healed and set free from the bondage to sin. Right? Confession leads to healing. Confession's a powerful weapon. Weapon number two, deliverance. Through his death and resurrection, Christ has received all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. If Christ has all authority, there is someone with no authority. Okay? No authority other than what we knowingly or unknowingly give that person. If Christ has all authority, Satan has zero. And you know what? It doesn't matter how young in the faith you are. You have, in Christ Jesus, authority. 
doesn't matter if you were one day born again. In Christ, he has the authority. We share in that. Suppose you go driving. I used to do this. I don't anymore. I learned my lesson. Driving 140, 150 down the 401. 160 even. I don't know why I was such an, in, in such a rush. I don't know. But I used to do that. Suppose you're driving really fast, okay? You're driving all of a sudden. Oh, you see the, you see the uh, lights in the rearview mirror. Oh, man, you get pulled over. So you pull over. You're waiting for the officer to come. The officer comes and stands beside your window. Roll down your window, please. And you look and you're like, <laughs> he looks like he's 16, okay? Let's say the officer looks like he's brand new on the force. He's 19, let's say. Okay, looks so young. It's, it's not like you're going to sit there and be like, hey, officer, you're a little young. So peace out. I'm out of here. <laughs> right? No. No. Even if that police officer who pulled you over is on his first day of the job. He has authority to pull you over, write you the ticket. It's been given to him. That's the same with each and every one of us who are in Christ Jesus. You are one day old in the kingdom or many, many days, doesn't matter. Christ has all the authority Therefore, we do in him. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says this, For he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. This is a revelation that needs to continually be poured out on the body of Christ. What does that mean? I believe as we continue to seek out the Lord, this becomes more and more clear what that means. That he has seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. The weapon of deliverance in enforcing the authority we have in Jesus over the areas of our lives that keep us in bondage is because of our union with Christ and so wherever we are at in our spirit, in our walk with the Lord, where we feel like, man, my walk with God is just not there. Or I feel like God's mad at me all the time. Or I just don't have time. I just got to do all my... Wherever you're at, wherever you're at, we do not need to be there. There is a way to freedom in Christ. So we're just going to take a moment right now. Just have a few minutes left. But we're going to take a moment. Let's pause for a moment on all the things that... That's a lot of info. A lot of stuff. But maybe of all the th- different things that I said, there was one area that just really hit you. Right? Let's just take a moment and pause on that for a moment. Ask the Lord to show you the areas in your lives where he wants to set you free from. A certain pattern that you're stuck in. And it feels like you're always hitting the reset button. And it's just, I keep falling into this. I keep doing this. I keep saying these things. I keep 
thinking these stuff, whatever, whatever it might be. Ask the Lord to show you what that is. Now, I just want to make this clear too from last week's sermon, okay? When God speaks to us, you have to remember, God speaks with conviction that leads to freedom. The devil speaks with condemnation, which leads to bondage. There's a big difference. Conviction leads to freedom. Condemnation makes you feel like you're just worthless. That's not the voice of God, okay? Condemnation is not the voice of God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I just wanted to say that as we take a moment and just reflect on our lives. Ask the Lord to show you. Ask Holy Spirit to come and show us. So I'm just going to pray and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to come and show us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you paid for us. And you sent your Holy Spirit to come and dwell among us. Lead us into all truth to convict us of the things that keep us in bondage. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, we know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come at this time. Show us those areas that you want to set us free from. And so in that blank part of the sheet there, as the Lord begins to reveal some stuff, I want you to write that down, whatever it might be. Just take some time to reflect. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So church, at this time, just with whatever was written down, the things that came to your mind as we took some time to reflect, <clears throat> being mindful of those things, I want us to all pray this prayer that's on the screen together in one voice and uh, recognize that we have forgiveness in Christ and freedom in Christ. And so let's read this, uh, pray this together. Ready? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. I ask that you cleanse everything I remember in these areas of my life with the blood of Jesus. I acknowledge that you are God. I am dependent on you, for apart from you, I can do nothing. I stand in the truth that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and because I am in Christ Jesus, I share that authority. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me into all truth. I pray for your complete protection and ask for your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's pray. Uh, continue. I'll pray with us. Father, we just want to thank you once again for all that we have in Christ. It is enormous. It's enormous, Lord, that we do not have to hold on to our baggage. We do not have to be caught in the cycles that we get caught in, that you call us out, that you have made a way for us to come out, to be free, to be set free, and to experience joy, unspeakable, full of glory. 
to experience the life that Christ Jesus has come to give us life in the full, abundant life in Christ. God, we thank you for all that is available for your people. And would you, Lord God, as we continue on in this series, show us, reveal to us those areas that hold us back from receiving the gift of freedom that is available in you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, one more time. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, freedom. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. It's beautiful outside.